Hebrews chapter 11, 5 and 6 reads, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So a little bit of introduction. Uh, The time of the writing of this Hebrew letter is generally thought to have been during a a time of persecution uh, that was coming to the early church. Uh, The letter was was written to Jewish believers, Christians that had come out of Judaism and uh, who were likely living uh, in Rome at the time. But as we examine the letter, uh, we see there's a, there's a tone of urgency, uh, there's emphasis on uh, the, superiority, the superiority of Christ as the Messiah, uh, and the fulfillment of all the, the Jewish sacrificial system uh, in him under the new, the new covenant. We see in it uh, some strong warnings against unbelief and, and drifting away, uh, and then uh, how the writer, uh, which we believe to be Paul, uh, who is the human instrument inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit, then holds up examples uh, of those who, who laid hold of God's promises by faith. They, they took him at his word, uh, even when they were persecuted, and uh, even when the fulfillment of those promises uh, were, was far off. And so there's the, the exhortation uh, to endure times of testing and, and hardship as they did. As we see these themes uh, develop in the letter, which, which really had nothing to do with their physical safety, um, but it had very much to do, everything to do, with their spiritual well-being. And so uh, we understand that uh, something more dangerous uh, than the persecution uh, was threatening these believers, and what was threatening them was spiritual decline. It was, it was a temptation to stop moving forward in their walk with Christ, uh, possibly because of the persecution, uh, the pressure from society that they were experiencing, but possibly also due to those who were uh, beginning to bring false teaching, false doctrine into the church and to begin to lead some astray, uh, causing them to question what they had been taught. Whatever the issue was, the, the general problem was that these believers were at a standstill spiritually, or at least that was threatening, and uh, they were not progressing in the faith. And when there, is, when there is no forward movement, uh, backsliding is, is the next likely thing to happen. And so something else to note is that uh, these were not new believers. Uh, these, were, these were believers who had been uh, in the faith and under the teaching of the word for some time. Uh, but, but they had become, uh, to, to put it in the words of the, the writer of Hebrews, they had become dull of hearing. And uh, maybe there was some over-familiarity with the scriptures that was beginning to set in. Maybe, that, maybe it was the mixture of the, the right doctrine and false doctrine as well uh, that was stumbling them in their faith. Or maybe it was unanswered questions uh, for why they faced the hardships that they faced. Whatever it was, there was, there was a spiritual uh, dullness or lethargy that was becoming more and more apparent. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says... Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, for, for though by this you, time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. 
and you have come to need milk and not the solid word. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, it's, there, there's a strong encouragement uh, then to go on to perfection. That, that is maturity. Uh, and then followed by verses 11 and 12 in chapter 6, uh, it says, And we desire that each one of you shows the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, so as we come to chapter 11 uh, and our text this evening, um, the, re- the writer then begins to hold up uh, for this body of believers, those examples uh, of those who did just that. Through faith and patience, they held to the word of God, and, and there was advancement spiritually. They remained loyal to the Lord. And, uh, and, and by faith, they, they, they rested everything on his word to them. They, uh, they had found that God can be trusted. He can be trusted to fulfill every word that he has spoken. And uh, even more than this, they found that, that God himself was, was the object of their faith and uh, that he was their reward, that he was their inheritance. And so, uh, so much of the letter, really, it focuses their attention, the entire attention, the attention of the believer on all that they have in Christ. And, and it basically asks them, as we just sang, why would you look anywhere else uh, for anything that compares to him? Get to know him more deeply and then keep going forward in your faith in Christ. And so Enoch, Enoch is one of the examples given of, of a growing and a, and a steady faith for the long haul. And that's highlighted in, in chapter 11. And he is, we first meet him, of course, uh, in the book of Genesis. And uh, he's, we, we see him as one who walked with God. And so we read in in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365, and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And so the title of our message tonight is, Walking with God, with that in, in, in view, because I believe that's that's at the heart of of what the Lord would have us to see tonight in, in our study. Uh, the, the walk of this man Enoch it was characterized by this un, unwavering belief in the Word of God, in God, and in His Word, and his, his walk was so so near to God that his life it literally just disappeared into Him, into God, and. Uh, it was a progressing faith, no doubt about that. Over time, uh, what the Lord put into this man's heart, the same desires that God had in his, to, to preach against sin, uh, to warn against the coming judgment, uh, as we read of him doing in the book of Jude, which we'll look at it a little bit later. Uh, there was urgency, or maybe a, a better word is diligence. There was, there was consistency. I mean, he walked with God for 300 years. I mean, top that. <laughs> uh, but there was... In his life, forecasting of the, the return of Christ, there was, there was the call to repentance. And not only in his preaching, but his, his rapture from this world. All of, all of this during times of, of, of great corruption on the earth. In fact, his son Methuselah uh, would die the year that the, that the flood came. And so the connection to us as believers uh, is... Of course, you know, we also live in times of great spiritual corruption. And we also live uh, knowing that the Lord could return at, at any moment. And that will bring his judgment upon the world, those who are lost. And um, so 
if there were ever a time to be making progress in our faith, to be growing spiritually, to be walking with the Lord, uh, it's now. Because without that, without that closeness to Christ, uh, the believer is in danger of drifting, drifting away spiritually, backsliding, losing ground, losing hope uh, in these days of where there's just defection in the faith everywhere. Uh, the inability to stand, to stand firm when, when persecution comes, when trouble comes, and then, of course, not being fit to be used uh, of the Lord to reach those who are lost. And so, with Enoch's example in mind, we, we want to take a little bit of time and, and look at uh, what does it mean to have uh, to, or to walk with God? What does that mean? And then what is the effect of a, of a walk with God? And then where does this walk with God lead? And so what does it mean to walk with God? Well, as we look at the life of this man Enoch, there's, there's not a lot about him that's said, but what is said is very significant. Uh, is much of what we just covered, especially this fact that he walked with God. And so if we go back to Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 5, we find that Enoch uh, descended from the godly line of Seth. Seth was a son of Adam following the death of Abel. And it says that soon after him, uh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And this, of course, uh, is in contrast to the ungodly line of Cain, which uh, speaks of corruption in the, in the world, you know, just of this preoccupation with the world and everything in the world and this, this self-exalting way uh, of unregenerate man, all of his accomplishments and his greatness and living for that. But in this genealogy of Enoch, Enoch uh, going back to Adam, there, there are other men, and uh, presumably men who also called on the name of the Lord, godly men who came before Enoch. Yet what's interesting is that it's not until Enoch that it said that any of them, or of any of them, that, that they walked with God. It only says this of, of Enoch, and then, and then we see it again of Noah in the next chapter. And I, I think that's significant, very significant, because what this brings out for us is that there is more to being a Christian than just being saved. There's calling on the name of the Lord, as wonderful as that is. Uh, there is a call for every believer to, to advance spiritually, to, to know Christ in increasing measure, and to allow him to... Show us things that we wouldn't be able to know or to learn unless we are walking with him regularly. Um, and so a believer can enjoy their salvation, but not ever really grow into maturity as God intends for them uh, without walking with him. And so this brings us to the question, well, what is meant by walking with God? And um, well, one thing that it means is that there's agreement with God. The Lord, uh, speaking through the prophet Amos, he writes, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And uh, and so, you know, I mean, it's a pretty basic concept. It would be very difficult uh, to do that if both individuals are going in separate directions. Um, but yet, so often something that we as believers get so confused about. Uh, it's very easy for me uh, to, to, to make plans and then ask the Lord to bless them, um, to try to, to get him to walk the direction that I'm going. And uh, that's not walking with the Lord. Uh, he's not ever going to go with us in a direction that is contrary to his word or contrary to his will. And that's very important to remember. Uh, still love, still belonging to him. But uh, by doing that, we can place ourselves in, in positions of, of, of difficulty <laughs> and uh, some hard lessons. And uh, so he, he walks with us as we walk with him. 
Um, something else that is meant by walking with God is, is being quick to believe him, being quick to take him at his word. And, and how many times does, does doubt jump in front of belief and then hold back our progress in the faith? And uh, we, we all know that very well. We, we, it's a force to contend with, but it's serious because it leads to unbelief. And, and that is a serious offense toward God. But simply believing him, taking him at his word, this leads to progress spiritually and, and, and even to greater, greater understanding and revelation of his character. Um, take, for example, the call of the disciple Nathaniel. Uh, we read about it in John chapter 1, verses 47 to 51, where it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Uh, Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so with Nathaniel, there was reservation at first when Philip came to him to tell him that they had found the Messiah, but he responded to the call anyway. And when he met the Lord, and when the Lord began to speak to him in that very personal way, letting him know that he had seen him, uh, Nathaniel quickly affirmed his belief, and it's emphatic, it's with exclamation, you are the Son of God. Uh, you are the king of Israel. And uh, there's some different interpretations on this. I, I believe that what's expressed by the Lord there when he says, because I said to you, I, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I think that, uh, if I can say it this way, I believe that there might have been a, a bit of, or at least conveyed to us, a bit of surprise or being taken aback that, at how quickly Nathaniel responded in faith. It's interesting in Scripture that what caused the Lord to marvel is faith. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, we see this. Um, when the centurion called to the Lord uh, to come and heal his servant, Jesus was evidently on the way to his home to do just that. And then it says that when Jesus was not far from the house, he sent friends to the Lord saying that the centurion did, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not think myself worthy, uh, worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And so... Then there's the Lord's response to Nathaniel, uh, was that he would see even greater things than what he had seen up to that point. And uh, th th there was so much, and, and is so much, to the life of Jesus uh, yet to be learned, yet to be seen. Uh, but unless there was belief, unless there is belief, there, there's no progress, no opportunity to, to walk with him and to see those things, to learn those things that he would teach. and um, Or at least it's stunted. And we are his disciples also. And uh, one thing that will prevent us from walking with him and, and discovering what he has to show us is unbelief, doubting him. 
the Christian, the, the Christ follower, uh, walks by faith, walks by faith in the Son of God. And many times when it comes to the details of our lives, he doesn't tell us. He doesn't spell it all out. We would like for that to happen, but it doesn't happen very often. And uh, his disciples, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 he doesn't give us a lot of detail about maybe what he's doing or where he's going. Uh, he just says, follow me, follow me, and then reveals those, those details in the process. Well, another critical feature of walking with the Lord is obedience. And that's obedience no, no matter the cost. It's complete resignation to his will, uh, regardless of the consequences. And uh, all of these attributes of, of walking with God that we're dealing with, the, 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 these are things that we struggle with. None of us have obtained these things perfectly, of course. But as, as Paul says in Philippians, we press on after them. We pursue them. We pursue obedience in, in, in every area of our lives. But this issue of obedience to him, uh, when he makes something clear, particularly something that, uh, you know, that we might be hanging on to, something that needs to go because it's hindering our progress spiritually, it's, it's very important if we're going to continue walking with him in, in close fellowship, uh, this, to, this matter of obedience in these things. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, we have the account of uh, the rich young ruler that comes to the Lord and he's wanting to have eternal life. He's asking about eternal life. And Jesus' response to him was, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Uh, and this young man, he was interested in eternal life uh, and Jesus was interested in that, but not only that, he was interested in the abundant life, this, this life submitted to his rule, not, not ruled by his possessions. And, um, b- but because this young man was not willing to let go of those things, uh, he wasn't able to follow the Lord. And, it, and it's interesting that he went away sorrowful, he went away unfulfilled, which is always the result of, of disobedience. And one other thing that is meant by walking with God is, is fellowship with him. And, uh, you know, when there's agreement with the Lord, there's, there's, there's believing his word and acting on it in obedience, there's, there's fellowship with the Lord. There's fellowship with him. There's a very special closeness uh, with the Lord, uh, particularly as he does his work through the believer in the wor- world. Uh, the, the word fellowship, it means actually to, to have a common interest in something or to, to share in the work of ministry, uh, more specifically speaking of our fellowship with the Lord. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so to walk with God is, is something very close and it's very, very special uh, because in this fellowship, uh, serving the Lord, we're, we're brought into a clearer understanding of, of, of him. And uh, as he teaches and shows us things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to see. And, uh, and these are things that the Lord is able to teach and share with the believer that's submitted to him and, and can't share with, uh, with the believer that is not submitting to him, that is, uh, that is not growing. Their growth is actually stunted. And Enoch uh, enjoyed this kind of relationship with the Lord. He, he walked with the Lord, again, meaning he agreed with him, he believed him, he took him at his word, he obeyed him, and he enjoyed a very special fellowship with God. Well, what are some of the effects of, of walking with God? Well, I, the first thing I think that we see from this 
life of Enoch, the, the, uh, our example uh, that is held up for us in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, is that his life pleases the Lord. It pleases God. And uh, it's faith that pleases God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And uh, the more we walk with him and, and we begin to understand his, his character, his ways, the more we trust him. God takes uh, such pleasure in us when we just simply believe him. We just take him at his word. The one who just trusts him no matter what is the one who can, who can walk with him through any situation and, and brings him pleasure. But there's a real blessing in it for us as well. There's a great deal of confidence that we have. And we are pleased in knowing uh, that, that he is pleased with us. Uh, a great deal of confidence that we have just um, no matter what those circumstances are, knowing that God is pleased with us. Uh, sometimes I think that Christians can, can get so down on themselves and uh, they think that every hardship or difficulty is, is from the Lord as some kind of a, a judgment. <laughs> it's almost like a default way of, of thinking that if this is happening to me, then I deserve to be chastened and if the Lord is not pleased with them. And uh, well, chastening does come to us, but it, it, it comes because we are loved, Hebrews tells us. And, uh, but what a change it makes, though. When the child of God realizes that they are so loved by the Lord, uh, even when they can't sense it, even when they don't, they don't sense him smiling on them uh, because they, they, they finally take him at his word. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I'm glad that that is a often repeated verse because I think we often need to hear it. Uh, when the walk of the believer is is imperfect as it is, it's, it's not characterized by the rule of the, of the flesh, uh, but the rule of the Spirit. And so we have confidence toward God. 1 John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. This is, that's a clear conscience before God. Something else that is another effect of, of walking with the Lord. And, you know, going around with a guilty conscience all the time, it, it, that, that also hinders our progress spiritually. It keeps us from being able to, to experience his love like he, he wants us to. Psalm 89 is a, a psalm that celebrates the, the covenant faithfulness of God to his people uh, in spite of their failures. And it says, Psalm 89, 15, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. And that, that, that would be the sound of praise <laughs> to such a faithful God and, uh, and those who place their confidence in him and the, the, this covenant of grace that we have in Jesus Christ. We can walk in the, the light of his countenance. They, we can experience his smile, uh, which has always been there, but unbelief uh, often clouds it uh, from view. Well, something else that we see about the walk of Enoch is that he had an unbroken walk with the Lord. Uh, and, you know, as it points out, 300 years, it's just a, a sign for us of just a, this, this continuous walk with the Lord. And, uh, and what I think this shows us is that to walk with the Lord, it takes diligence on our part. And, uh, you know, when we talk about walking with the Lord, it's, it's for the long haul. It's not just for a season. It's not just when it's convenient. But diligence in walking with the Lord and, and knowing him more deeply, and, and that leads to fruitfulness and, and growth. 
And Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It's, he says, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's that diligence that is a, an effect of, of, of walking with the Lord. And, and, um, and, and, and just it inspires even more a desire. And so as we look at the life of Enoch and, and another effect of walking with the Lord that we see is that it can be a lonely path, uh, at least in the sense that there are not many others that are taking the same journey because, again, it's uh, broad as the road that leads to destruction. It's broad and it's easy, and the road to life is narrow and difficult. And uh, it can be a road or it can be a walk where there's suffering of some kind. Uh, maybe the Lord takes a person through a season where they're being uh, persecuted or harassed for their faith in some fashion. And, um, you know, one thing we know is that We've never lost his fellowship, especially in those times. And, and in fact, uh, when we are persecuted for our faith, uh, if that should happen, he's very much with us to strengthen us because we're, we're sharing in his sufferings. Paul called it the fellowship of his sufferings. Another effect that the walk, this walk with the Lord has, uh, or that we see in, in, in this walking with the Lord, is, is that it's an opposite, in the opposite direction than the world, than the direction the world is going. And, uh, you know, we mentioned about Enoch um, that uh, the, the culture was becoming increasingly wicked and the fact that his son Methuselah would, would live all the way up to the flood. Um, so all these things were already in motion. But he, Enoch, he, he never, entangled himself, uh, <coughs> never entangled himself with with the world, with the culture, or let it sway him. He never went the world's way, but he was always standing in opposition to it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so, um, you know, we... The, the world tries to offer counsel and advice is entirely based on their understanding of, of this world only, but they have no concern for eternity or, or spiritual things. And so when it comes to getting direction for our lives, um, that's why we, we don't go to the world for advice and to worldly sources. The, uh, the one who is, is, is blessed is the one who goes to the Lord and goes to his word. But then notice there's a regression, actually a going backwards in this description in Psalm 1. Uh, the one who chooses to walk with the ungodly uh, instead, instead of with the Lord, the soon they are standing with them, standing in the path of sinners. And then we see them seated and, and with the scornful and very comfortable. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, 
a back, it's a regression spiritually. Another characteristic of walking with the Lord that is uh, is that uh, it's in conflict with ungodliness in the culture, and I believe that this comes out very much in in the life of Enoch, uh, as it's recorded for us uh, in, in Jude, uh, and, and when he, he speaks in Jude, or what's recorded of what he said is in Jude, uh, verses fourteen and fifteen. Uh, it says uh, chapter one, verse fourteen and fifteen says, "Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam." prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch was uh, a preacher of the word against sin and uh, was not soft on it. He, he warned the sinful uh, that they needed to repent. And, uh, and and so if we're going to walk with Jesus, it's going to be part of our life as well because it's important to God that, that sinners are saved. And in order to reach them, they have to be made aware of their sin, introduced to the Lord. And notice also that Enoch was preaching a message about judgment, uh, even a judgment that is still yet to come uh, at the second coming of Christ. And uh, how did he get this knowledge? Well, he, he received it from walking with the Lord. The scripture says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And one other thing that I think stands out significantly for us um, about Enoch is that his walk with the Lord was so close that one day he just disappeared. He just disappeared. And... Um, you know, unless the Lord decides to rapture us, it's likely not going to happen to any of us. But something I think similar will happen uh, if we learn to walk with the Lord in obedience to him. And that is that we will become less visible and Christ who lives in us will become more prominent. Uh, there will be much more of Christ seen in our actions and our words and our habits and our, our approach to our work, all of life. Um, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I, I must decrease. Well, then where does a walk with God lead? Uh, well, Enoch's life on earth, it, it, it didn't end in death. God took him out, took, took him out of here. <laughs> um, and they, they, they looked for him and they, they couldn't find him, the scripture says. Um, and I believe that, that Enoch was, uh, was a man that was so well known uh, for his faith, among the godly and the ungodly, that when God took him out of this world, it was a message to the, the godless society that he was in uh, that was so wrapped up in man's achievements and, and, and the lust of the eyes, the flesh, the pride of life, that there is, uh, in this rapture of Enoch, that there, there was the reminder of an unseen, invisible world that goes beyond this life. And uh, this same effect comes from the life of a believer that is walking with the Lord, that is walking with God. They impress on others around them that really aren't all that impressed with this world and that there is another spiritual world that is to be considered. There is eternity. And, um, and so ultimately it leads to being taken to be with the Lord for all eternity. The scriptures are, are always pointing our attention to uh, the eternal reward instead of uh, what we can see here in, in front of us. And so this life of Enoch, it reminds us that the godly life that walks with the Lord will be, will be rewarded uh, for remaining faithful to God. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
verses 7 and 8. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So to love his appearing is to be eagerly waiting for it. And uh, I think the life of Enoch encourages us. It it reminds us that it could happen at any moment. And that when it does, uh, there's going to be a reward in heaven for the believer before the Lord. Uh, And, um, you know, whether it's uh, through our our dying naturally or being raptured, when we see the Lord and we enter into heaven, uh, we'll no longer have a need for faith as we know it right now because our eyes will see him. uh, And that that will be reward enough. But what about here? What about leading up to that time? Well, we, we may have a, a while yet before the Lord returns. It doesn't seem that way. <laughs> um, but where does a walk with God lead on this side of heaven uh, while we still need to exercise faith? Well, for one, it leads to a fulfilled purpose for our lives. Uh, Paul's prayer for the Colossian church uh, shows us this. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So to walk with the Lord is is to find out uh, what he wants to do with our lives, the knowledge of his will. Uh, as that shapes our walk, it, it pleases him and it, and it bears fruit. But it also leads to purity, this walk with the Lord. And uh, Enoch's life reminds us that, that, that walking with the Lord by faith, it recognizes that, that he can come back at any time and uh, that we need to be ready. And um, if, we, if we know that the Lord could come at any moment, we'll, we'll want to lead pure and blameless lives because we love him. Second, uh, Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 3, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And so this is speaking of of his return for his church. Uh, But we can we can see him uh, now also by faith. So the reward for purity is 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 that we will see God. Jesus said the pure in heart will see God. So as we walk with the Lord, uh, even though we may not see him with our eyes, we will, we will know him more closely, we'll recognize his work, we'll see, uh, we'll see him more uh, at work in our lives around us as we allow him to purify our, our hearts by his, his word and by his spirit. And one other observation is that walking with the Lord, it leads us to a passionate heart, it leads us to a passionate heart. Enoch, no doubt, was, was passionate about his walk with the Lord, um, a verse in, in Hebrews eleven six, it's uh, with Enoch in view. Uh, as an example, it's, it tells us that God, uh, he, God, speaking of the Lord, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But, uh, you know, many times the passion isn't there. And uh, instead it may be sadness, it may be disappointment. But thankfully, uh, we can count on the Lord to come to us in those times and to to help us to be reignited uh, in our walk. Um, I love the passage in Luke chapter 24. Uh, there are the two disa- disciples that are <clears throat> traveling to the town of Emmaus. Uh, it's after the crucifixion. 
they're saddened by the fact that that uh, the Lord has been crucified. They're, they're, they're bewildered. They're confused. But then the Lord shows up, and the Lord begins to walk with them. And uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 15 and 16 says, So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. But as they walked with the Lord, he began to open up their understanding of his word, and their hearts began to burn with passion for him, even though their eyes were restrained from seeing him. <clears throat> Uh, when they when they, they they later then had a meal with the Lord, and uh, He opened their eyes so that they could recognize Him as the Lord, and and then disappeared. But as they reflected on on this in Luke twenty four verse thirty two, it, it says they said, "Did not our heart burn within us while we talked, while He talked with us on the road, and while He opened the Scriptures to us?" And um, you know, there have been so many times in my own walk with the Lord where the the passion hasn't been there as I would want it to. Uh, but then there will be something that the Lord will point out in his word or something I hadn't seen before or something that another believer will say or that will share that just it just ignites that 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 spark again. That's it's so necessary. And what a blessing that he knows us so well, that he cares for us uh, the way that he does. Passion is important to the Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's called zeal in the scriptures. And it's especially important as we as we see the Lord's return approaching, which which Enoch himself, being raptured, reminds us of. In Titus chapter two, uh, verse thirteen and fourteen, it brings this out a little bit, and it says, "Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed." And purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That zeal, it doesn't come except through remaining in close contact with the Lord, with, with the Lord Jesus, who is revealed to us through his word. And uh, his grace, his love, it, it then moves us into action. Paul, Paul said, uh, the, the love of Christ compels us. So there's much to do and uh, in spiritual drowsiness. Uh, is something that, that we have to be on guard against. Well, uh, in the time that we have remaining this evening, I'd like to look at two passages of two other passages of scripture uh, with you. Um, the first is uh, an overview of the life of King Asa, uh, as, as it's recorded in Second Chronicles uh, four, chapters fourteen through sixteen. Just a, a brief overview through that, uh, and this is an example of what I think the writer of Hebrews did not want to happen, uh, this this regression spiritually or backsliding. Asa is an example of someone that started well but uh, ended with a basically a disabled walk uh, with the Lord. And so um, King Asa was a godly king. The record that we have of him in Scripture is generally good, uh, very good. And in Second in Second Chronicles 15, verse 17, says, The heart of Asa was loyal all his days, meaning, of course, he was loyal to God. However, uh, even though he didn't turn away from God uh, to worship idols, he, he had a significant lapse of faith toward the end of his reign that, that put this, this sad ending on a, on, a, on a life that would have otherwise just have been very, is very inspiring. Um, and, and I think this serves... Uh, for us, as a reminder of the the very real danger of losing ground spiritually, not finishing our race well, still saved but but disabled in our walk uh, with the Lord due to becoming uh, 
too too comfortable, perhaps confident in the flesh. Um, the, the zeal and the enthusiasm uh, we see in this man that he once had at the beginning of his reign had been allowed had been allowed to just to, to, to die down to cool off. When Asa came to the throne, uh, it says that he began to purge Judah of its idolatry, and so it says in, in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, verses two two through four, that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. And, and then not only did he do this, but he, he then built fortified cities. He put up defenses. Uh, his objective was, to, was basically to tear down everything, uh, anything that was established in the land that would lead his heart or the heart of his people or the heart of God's people astray, and then to put up defenses uh, against any threat to that security. And I think there's a lot that we can learn and we can apply uh, from that in our own lives. There are several words and, and, and phrases that, that show up repeatedly in these chapters, 14 and 15 in particular, that, that seem to characterize most of his reign. Words like rest show up. Uh, quiet show up, shows up, uh, seeking the Lord, or some some variation of that, sought the Lord, and uh, so this was this was the, the the what characterized much of his life. His life and the life of God's people under his reign was blessed uh, while they sought the Lord. It says in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, verses nine through eleven. It says, "Then Zerah the Ethiopian." came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Maresha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha at Maresha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude, O oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And, and God brought about a tremendous victory over this massive army, army that had them outnumbered. And, and then on the way back from this victory, there was a prophet that met him, and he began to encourage him, uh, interestingly, to keep going with the Lord. Uh, it was an encouragement, but really it was, it was also a warning in there. Uh, and oftentimes we need both uh, after the Lord has given us a, a victory spiritually or we have a, a spiritual high point um, so that we don't become complacent or self-confident or, and, and then become vulnerable. So the prophet said to him in Second Chronicles chapter 15, we'll read verses 2 and then verse 7, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But you, verse 7, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And he took this to heart, Asa did, and he continued with some great spiritual reforms. And the Lord was, was blessing him in this so much that the people from the northern kingdom of Israel were seeing God blessing Judah and, and this king. And they were moving down and they were, you know, be, wanted to be part of that. Uh, and and then um, it says that they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And so it says, the Lord gave them rest all around, and there was no more war 
until the 35th year of Asa's reign. He reigned a total of 41 years. So all was going well for years. But then testing came. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we read that in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. His plan worked. But here was his lapse of faith. So after God had delivered him from a million-man army in years past, uh, he was willing to, to partner with the enemy to defeat a, a much smaller threat instead of relying on God. He, it was the arm of the flesh. He was relying on the arm of the flesh to deal with his problem, and he even robbed God to do it by taking from the temple treasuries. So God sends another prophet to him and reminds him of of this, of how God rescued him before and, and, and rebukes him for, for failing to continue to trust the Lord. And the prophet then said to Asa, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. Well, this enraged Asa. Uh, as I, I believe because he knew he was wrong. Uh, come to become too proud to admit it because the plan went so well. And uh, so he, he put the prophet in prison, and he, it says he began to oppress some of the people. It happens very often. Someone doesn't like to be told that they're wrong, and they, instead of submitting to the Lord, they just, just, just go off. And so um, uh, what is encouraging about this verse 9 is that God is looking intently. He's looking intently. The eyes of the Lord to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He is looking intently for opportunity to show himself strong for those that will trust him. But what is interesting is that it says that after all this, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. So he began to have this serious disease in his feet that affected his walk. And the indication here is that it's something that could have been reversed if he had again just turned to the Lord, but, but he refused to do that. And so the result of this man's life that, that again, started out so well, uh, it ended in pain and it ended in a disabled walk. Still a righteous man, but unfortunately, having covered so much ground and then lost so much ground at the end of his life because he, he did not continue diligently trusting the Lord and walking with him in faith and obedience. And uh, after his first victory, uh, we remember the prophet came and encouraged him, and he warned him. And he said, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. And uh, 
This was an encourage. This was an encouragement. Keep going forward with the Lord. While there's momentum uh, on on the heels of this great victory, keep going with the Lord. But it was also a warning. It was a warning that weakening and loss of reward would happen if not. And the writer of Hebrews, uh, I believe, picks up on this and would say something very similar. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 13 writes, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So Asa had opportunity to to make changes, to return to the Lord, to trust him for healing, for a restored walk, but he didn't. And that's what makes this story so sad. Uh, But it does serve as a reminder to us, I believe, of the need for diligence in our walk with the Lord, because starting well doesn't, it doesn't mean finishing well automatically. And as we close uh, this evening, there's one other passage that I just would like to, to look at briefly uh, that I think is particularly encouraging to us as we consider our walk with the Lord. And uh, this is in Philippians chapter 3. Paul uh, writes, starting in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the upward prize, sorry, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's not a single one of us that has arrived at a walk with the Lord that is that is all that it can be. Paul, the apostle, confessed this about himself, that he hadn't attained it either. It's a lifelong pursuit. Not not so much of a, of a higher level of Christianity so much as the Lord himself, pursuing the Lord himself, walking with him. And Paul says, I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He's laid hold of us for relationship, for for restoration of that relationship and and fellowship and communion with him, serving him, fulfilling the the purpose that he has for us individually. And so Paul is saying, devote your life to that same thing, that that one thing. He narrows it down, which is the pursuit of Christ and, and, and his purposes in my life. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And it's just so common of so many of the Psalms that David's desire for the presence of God, just the, this, his desire for the Lord. It was singular focus, uh, this presence of the Lord, the walk with, to walk with the Lord. And then Paul continues in Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 and 17. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So his encouragement to the believer who may have slowed down in their progress, uh, no matter where they are in their walk with the Lord, is to 
Forget those things that are behind, the, the good things or the bad, the successes or the failures, and just start walking forward from, from wherever they are. And, and then pay attention to those uh, uh, who may be a little bit more mature in the faith to learn from them also. The scripture is full of examples for us, like Enoch. And then he concludes by saying, For many walk, of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Avoid the broad path uh, that so many are, are aimlessly walking. It leads to destruction. And again, he focuses our attention instead on heaven, and most importantly, on the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who is going to return very soon. And so the encouragement uh, for the often unpopular, often difficult way with the Lord in this life is to keep your eye on the prize uh, when faith will, will become sight one day very soon. So if sluggishness has crept in anywhere in our faith, if perhaps it has slowed our progress with the Lord, here's our encouragement. Press on. Press on because he has called us and because he loves us. Keep a single focus on his presence and, and, and his calling Forget the past, forget the past and just move forward, starting from wherever we find ourselves, whatever level of of maturity it may be. The key is to get moving and take special note of the examples that God has given us in our faith. Keep a loose association with this world and the things in it. It's it's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And soon and, and, and very soon, as we sing, we're going to see the king. He is coming and there is much to do. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we do look forward to your return. But Lord, we also look forward to increased fellowship with you, to walking with you each day, and uh, those things that you would have us to do. Oh, Lord, may you draw us in closer. May you uh, just light us with the, 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 the flame of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you use us this week as we go forward into the remainder of the week. And may you get us all home safely in Jesus' name. Amen.